Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Mark Azulay, and I'm sitting here with Neil McKinley. He's a meditation teacher and mentor that lives in British Columbia and Victoria. And he runs a couple online communities, uh, the Living Meditation Network, the online gatherings, and he has a podcast called Bringing Meditation to Life. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks very much, Mark. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really happy to have you on the show. Um, when I saw your story about kind of toxic spiritual communities and some of the abuse that can happen, it really struck a chord with me. Um, we were talking a little bit uh you know, before the show that we actually have a shared lineage with the Shambhala um, lineage that has a, unfortunately has a pretty solid history of abusive um, power dynamics and um, sexual assault, um, emotional abuse, um, conditioning, priming, all that kind of stuff. And I'm excited to hear um, your version and, and what you experienced in your spiritual community and what your thoughts are around the whole dynamic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's inter it's really interesting and painful, painfully interesting how many people I run into now who say, yeah, I have a similar story. I know that experience. I've been through something that is very similar, somewhat similar, quite different, but within the same ar arena of uh, dysfunctional power dynamics in the spiritual community and the harm that they cause. And uh, it, it's a real uh, gift to be able to speak with to that with you today. Yeah, so let's dive right into your story. What would you say your From the Ashes story is, if you can walk us through it? Yeah, well, I think the story, my story exists in three parts. Um, there's what happened, how I've been recovering from that, and then what I've been sharing as a result of uh, those first two. And um, in terms of, you know, what happened, I've been meditating most of my adult life. I learned to meditate when I was a teenager. I learned to meditate um, as part of being a competitive swimmer. And about 30 years ago, which, you know, really dates me, but about 30 years ago, I started to uh, practice and study in a more formal way. Um, I engaged a series of two successive communities, both of which are rooted in Shambhala or in uh, Tibetan Buddhism, one of them being the Shambhala community you mentioned, and then there was an offshoot community that I was part of. Um, and each of these gave me opportunities to engage formal curriculum, to do long retreats. And uh, somewhere around about 2016, I found my relationship with the second community, the offshoot community, um, beginning to unravel in some ways. I started to feel uncomfortable with how the leader was treating students, specifically how the leader was treating uh, close senior students uh, such as myself. Um, it really became apparent to me that in spite of what I believed, in spite of what I had been told myself, and in spite of what I told others as a leader, as a senior person in that community, in spite of all this, what was driving that community, that situation was not the teachings, it wasn't the practice, it wasn't the well-being and development of the students, but it was the self-centered impulses of the leader. 
And the extents that he was willing to go to assert these created an environment um, that I feel was characterized by three things, by manipulation, by disempowerment, and by disrespect. And to give one example, um, he was a master of what I call the bait and switch, promising one thing and then offering or doing another and expecting everyone to silently go along as if nothing had ever happened, which in some ways may not sound like much, but when this dynamic repeats over a period of years and um, plans and schedules and lives are actually upended by an authority figure that one trusts, who seems to have little concern for the consequences of all this, um, the effect is crazy making. It actually uh, distorts one's relationship with one's own inner knowing, which is certainly what happened to me. That distortion happened to me. And by 2019, the distortion was so severe that I became like mentally and physically compromised to such an extent that I just had to leave. And so that's what I did. And February 2020, I left. Um, I made that difficult but necessary, necessary choice to end a 20-year relationship, which opened up a path of healing and recovery and exploration and discovery that is now what I'm on. And so that's the what happened part of it. You know, that is the, uh, you know, beginning and middle of end, end of my relationship with that uh, dysfunctional situation. And can you share, before we go into the second part, can you share a little bit of the impact it had on some of the other members as well? Like some of this bait and switch or this power dynamic stuff, like maybe to tell another story about that. It was really varied, but, um, you know, from person to person, but I certainly was not the first or last or only person to leave um, as a result of feeling mistreated, um, manipulated, um, as a result of, uh, you know, feeling to some extent crazy within that particular um, environment. And, you know, I'm really hesitant to actually speak to other people's experience. I think it's their story mm -hmm. to tell. I think I can speak in general terms and say, yeah, I was not the first, I was not the last. And there were an astonishing number of people like myself. It was just, just like people would just disappear. And because the communication in the community was so um, controlled or so segmented, it was extremely rare to have any sense of why people left. You know, why is X no longer among us? And there would maybe be a few stories or a few rumors, but very little concrete sense of, you know, what had actually happened because of the, the segmentation and the control that was characteristic of that environment. And the inverses out. I mean, one of the words that some that often comes up when I'm discussing all this is the word of cult. And I think that it is a, a, an appropriate term to use here. And one of the things that characterize the cultic environments is a very strong sense of being in versus being out. Mm -hmm. And so when you were in, you were in. And when you were out, you were out. And communication across that divide was, for whatever reason, extremely, extremely difficult. Um, so, you know, you ask this very reasonable question of, you know, other people's stories. And um, in addition to wanting res to respect the integrity of those individual stories, I also don't know many stories, actually. Yeah, because that information was kept cordoned off. Yeah, that yes. is very creepy and very crazy making, like you're saying. 
utterly crazy making. It yeah. felt like um, psychological, psychic, emotional whiplash, yeah. meaning um, there was this sense of like constantly turning one's head and saying, what? Where's person X? And the moment those words came out of your one's mouth, it would be like swinging in the other direction. Like, where's person Y? And what's happening here? And what's happening there? There was this sense of, of uh, spiritual whiplash happening. And the damage in that for me was the extent to which it undermined uh, the integrity um, my relationship with my own inner knowing, my own sense of what's going on, of what's appropriate, of what's okay and what's not okay. Yeah, I I just wonder, and I was thinking about the Chambala community too, because the one I'm more familiar with is like, how is that reconciled with the Buddhist principles, right? Where my understanding is it's about, you know, openness, acceptance, compassion, you know, transparency, confronting reality as it is, you know, like yeah. for, for my Buddhist practice, honesty, Truly, and transparency was such a big part of that, um, having a personal um, relationship with that. So to have the other side of it, you know, control, manipulation, gaslighting, deceit, how does that get reconciled? I can, I can hear the whiplash that you're talking about. You know, I mean, personally, I don't feel it can get reconciled. I don't consider, um, in, in, in to a large extent, I don't consider what I was involved in, at least the those last final years, um, let's say from 2016 onwards, when it, it was really becoming difficult for me and really becoming apparent, first in a spidey sense sort of way, and then in a more overt kind of way that, you know, okay, something not okay is happening here. I don't think there is any reconciliation there. It, yeah. It's not... Uh, you know, if if Buddhism takes as its very base, um, you know, what is called uh, Buddha nature or our basic nature, this sense that we are all born with an innate sort of clarity and sensitivity and responsiveness. And, you know, the task of, or one of the tasks of the Buddhist path is to develop, deepen our relationship with this and develop our confidence in this and encourage us to trust and follow this in our life. Well, that's not what we were doing. Mm -hmm. That is at the end of the day. And it, that's a really interesting point. At the end of the day, I feel like I believed that what it was what I was doing. And I was walking down the yellow brick road of the community that I was part of. And eventually I got into the wizard's castle and I saw behind the wizard's curtain and I realized that's not it. It's That's not what we're doing. In this community, there's one person who has the uh, authority, shall we say, of the deep relationship with the Buddha nature. And, you know, the rest of us are expected to fall in line. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that's the part that's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way about some of that, the way those the, the guru set up is, is designed, right? Of like, this person is enlightened. They have access to some source or truth and everyone else is just not there. You know? Not yeah, very much so. We're very much so. trying to and, constantly get there, right? And you know, sure, we all have obstacles. We all have issues. We all have obscuration or issue things that obscure our relationship with that basic nature. But that basic nature mm -hmm. is there, and it seems to me that the ground of an authentic spiritual path would acknowledge and honor and respect that. And what I was going through with, you know, manipulation, disempowerment, and disrespect was not that. So we're getting back to that. I don't think there is any reconciliation possible. 
Yeah, I, I wonder one more question and I want to continue with your story. You know, again, from the Shambhala tradition, uh, the word spiritual materialism, right? Chogim Trumpa, who was the leader of the Shambhala community, the founder, wrote so much about the spiritual materialist concept, right? The idea, and I know, I know you know what it is. That's what I'm explaining to listeners, right? This idea that you can be, feel better or superior because you're on some kind of spiritual path and that you're greater than thou and all this kind of stuff. And yet I saw so much of that in the communities. Um, I, I, I don't know if there's a question there, but I guess I wonder, did you experience that? How do you reconcile that? Is that reconcilable, right? Like this idea that people that practice are better than, you know, other people, which is, is a hard one to break, right? Yeah, it is. It, it, is it really perpetuates. Yeah. And I think I keep coming back to Buddha nature. Let's call it basic nature. I think that's a, a better yeah. term. I keep coming back to our basic nature. If our basic nature is basic, if human beings have inherent within them these qualities and you know clarity sensitivity responsiveness that's how I'll, I'll describe them here if that is in fact basic it's basic in all of us mm. it's basic in meditators and non-meditators it's basic in spiritual practitioners and non-spiritual practitioners now spiritual practice arguably is intended to develop our relationship with our transparency to those qualities. But it doesn't mean that I have more of that than the person walking down the street right now. And in fact, it's very humbling to actually look out the, at the look out the window sometimes and see that people who have never meditated, who have no inclination to meditate, for whatever reason, seem to have a better connection to that basic nature than I am. Absolutely. They're much more clear. They're much more yeah. honest. They're much more attuned. They're much more kind. They're much more responsive than I am. Um, that's a very humbling um, and yet very truthful experience if we look out at the world. And so for me, one of the antidotes to that tendency that you're talking about, like, well, I, med I meditate, so I'm better than this person. I meditate longer than that person who also meditates, so I'm better than you too. And I meditate with this group, which is better than that group. Um, one of the remedies um, for that for me is always remembering this basic nature and being on the lookout for how it manifests in my life um, in the most ordinary of ways. So for instance, a couple of days ago, I was having a bad day and I was at the grocery store and I was at the checkout and, um, you know, I was just standing there miserable and caught up in all my own things. And the cashier said, are you doing okay today? And I was just so touched by that sensitivity that was on evidence there, the clarity, they actually saw what was happening for me, and then spoke to that, responded to that in a very ordinary human way. And it was just so humbling that this person and this context were willing and able to do that. And that to me is something of a remedy for what you're talking about. Um, being on the active lookout for how that basic nature shows up all over the place, not just meditators. In fact, sometimes meditators can learn a lot from the cashiers and the people walking outside the streets. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. That's very well said. I love that little beautiful moment that you shared at the grocery store. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's just go back to your story, right? You went through this kind of yeah, manipulative, destructive experience, um, and then you had to recover. What yeah. was that like? Well, recover, you know, I had, there was a, a path of recovery waiting for me, and it's still unfolding to this day, because I certainly have um, good days and bad. Uh, 
So I left that community in February of 2020, and there was a lot of relief in leaving. And at the same time, there was a lot of loss. I mean, it was really overwhelming. I had really taken a deep dive in and I lost a path. I lost peers. I lost livelihood, trust, confidence, direction. And I had no idea. I mean, it's the definition of lostness. I had no idea what to do with any of this. And so there are two things that I want to note here. Um, the first is that I turned to what was familiar for me, which is meditation. I don't really know why, I just did. I turned toward meditation and I started to settle into what was happening for me. I started to settle into that sense of lostness, not changing or getting rid of or resolving, but just settling into how lost I actually was. And out of this settling, there arose these experiences of insight that often spoke directly to what was happening to me. And all of this suggested a phase of meditation, an aspect of meditation that I'd not really recognized before, one in which I let the insights that come out of my settling practice actually guide me through my life, guide me into the world, which is what I started doing because I didn't know what else to do. And so if what arose during meditation was a sense that I was really tired, I would try to rest. If it was a sense that I was lonely, I'd reach out. If it was a sense that I was stuck, I'd engage therapy. And the second thing worth noting here is that I did a lot of this in community. I did a lot of this with others, with the end of that difficult relationship that I mentioned. And then the arrival of COVID in early 2020, um, my teaching livelihood vanished. And so I started to offer something online that has evolved in the community called the online gatherings. And in uh, doing so, I saw the brilliant and articulate and vulnerable and adaptive ways others were engaging, not only meditation, but the challenges of their lives. And under the influence of these two, I found myself moving through that loss. Meditation was beginning to heal a damaged relationship with my own inner wisdom. And the community was reminding me of the existence of this inner wisdom, this basic knowing this basic nature over and over and over again. And I started to find a sense of direction, recovery, direction, and purpose as a result of that process. That's really great. What are some of the insights that you gained? What was some of those moments, like those moments of clear seeing? Was there anything that really kind of like punched through the veil for you? I'm really hurt. Yeah. I'm really lonely. I and being a little bit hard on myself about all this. And I'm so glad I got out. Mm. Those would be some of the first ones, you know, the fun, some of the ones that really stuck out. Also, I mean, I want to really emphasize the stuckness. Stuckness came up a lot. I'm really stuck. And when I got when I get stuck, I kind of spiral down. It's like I get stuck. I, 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 I gain a lot of uh, mass and I begin to psychically sink. And um, the value of trauma therapy in this particular EMDR was uh, cannot be understated. And a lot of times the insights where I'm stuck, I need to reach out to this EMDR therapist I work with because just meditating and just being lost, it, it's not fully appropriate. It's not meeting the needs of this situation. And so um, one insight was the value of bringing other modalities into 
um, my healing recovery discovery journey. Yeah, I just want to underline that. My my day job is a therapist and EMDR is an incredible, incredible tool. Um, and I just want to speak directly. If there's any listeners out there that are stuck in a trauma place or stuck in a place of repetitive, intrusive thoughts or flashbacks, nightmares, anything like that, look for EMDR. Um, it's really available now. Um, we're going to move into our first commercial break. When we get back, I want to talk a little bit about you know what you're doing now. Um, and honestly, I'm curious how you choose not to repeat the mistakes of the past communities, like what makes a, a spiritual community healthy instead of toxic. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening, uh, hold on and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. 
Welcome back to the show. I'm sitting here with Neil McKinley, who just shared a powerful story of, you know, spiritual abuse, power dynamics, gaslighting, manipulation, and talked about your recovery process by leaning on meditation in addition to EMDR therapy and doing what I've always conceptualized as kind of like the next right thing, right? Whether that be Mm -hmm. to nap or to reach out to a friend or to, you know, lean into your therapy or to study, whatever it is. Um, I think it's a really powerful practice that seems simple, but is difficult to do. Yeah, very much so. There's there's a lot that comes between me and the next right thing all the time, right? Ideas, expectations, hopes, fears, you know, whatever it might be. It sounds easy. Um, and to some extent, I guess it is easy. It's very straightforward. And I think it's lifetime work developing our capacity to familiarize with that next right thing and then actually follow it into our lives. Yeah, right. I mean, just like you said, to recognize it and then do it and have the faith that even if it doesn't seem like it's the most optimal thing, that is the right thing. Um, So I got to ask you the question, right? Because we talked in the beginning of the podcast that now you're running some online communities, right? Based Mm -hmm. on spirituality and meditation. And I just got to know, right, how you take these lessons and try to create a healthier environment. What does that mean to you? How do you make sure you don't repeat the same mistakes? Well, I think one thing is the uh, that really helps me is the sense of purpose that came out of the process that I just described, that ongoing recovery process of turning toward my own experience in meditation, through meditation practice, and having that process supported and affirmed by others, by the, this, these communities that I'm a part of. Um, you know, just by having people show up and be themselves and model what it is to familiarize and follow the next right thing is so incredibly affirming for me. And so um, one of the things that I've really been conscious of is developing a sense of purpose around the communities that I'm facilitating, specifically around the online gatherings that um, I think perforates the tendencies to go in the directions that we were talking about a few minutes ago. So, you know, coming out of that process of recovery, of that ongoing process of recovery, I have this community, we'll focus on the online gatherings where I bring together meditators of all backgrounds and all levels of experience in order to develop a practical understanding, an everyday understanding of the teachings and practices of meditation together. So that's one element that I think is helpful, is we're really trying to bring the teachings and practices of meditation down to the level of our everyday lives together. So it's not about um, elevating the teachings and separating them from our lives, but bringing them into the stuff of our everyday lives. And all of us have everyday lives. So it's really empowering to begin to connect with the fact like, oh, I can connect with the basic nature when I'm interacting with this cashier at the grocery store. That's really kind of levels the playing field. It's not the the exclusive experience of some special category of being. It's something that we all tap into all the time. And then the second thing that I think has been really helpful in terms of formulating and articulating and following a sense of purpose is being clear that the point of us coming together to develop this practical understanding is to encourage and empower and inspire and support one another as we become more familiar with and more respectful of the innate wisdom of our person 
and our communities and this world and the necessarily unique ways they want to manifest in our lives. And the, un, having that sense of purpose um, really shapes so much of what I do. So, for instance, in the online gatherings, um, you know, we come together, we have the option of coming together three times a week. And um, on the Saturday gatherings, a, lot, a fair amount of our time is given to discussion. And the intention of this discussion, I mean, maybe it leans into Q&A sometimes, but the intention of the discussion is not Q&A. It's really about us sharing our experience with one another and all of us beginning to glean the little nuggets of insight and wisdom that exist within that experience. So we're all actually teaching one another. And I, as the teacher, often come out of those Saturday gatherings feeling like my understanding of meditation has been perforated, opened up, and enriched by what other people say and share and articulate. And that, to me, is going a long way towards um, maybe not leveling out, but... but evening out this hierarchy that we, you and I are both familiar with in you know past spiritual communities you know you know we all have different roles within the communities but that understanding that the wisdom is available to all of us and that we all articulate it in different ways that are um, you know valid and affecting that's been a huge huge piece of the puzzle that you've just put on the table here yeah i really like that i like the stance that you're taking you know, the Buddhist teaching that I relate to on that is like beginner's mind, right? This idea that you can learn something, even though you, you might be the facilitator or the teacher in some capacity, that you can still learn and be influenced by the people in the discussion group. Um, I think that's phenomenal. And I can imagine, or I've seen teachers shut themselves off to that, right? Where they want to be the fount of knowledge and they want to mm -hmm. be the wisdom keeper and they want to be the one where their idea of community is uniformity. Right. It's everyone should think and feel and believe and say the same thing versus what I think is emerging, not just here, but I think in the country as large is diversity, right? Where true community is accepting of difference, having room for different people's experiences, for different types of opinions, for different beliefs, perspectives, um, which I think is a lot harder to do, right? It's, it's a lot easier if everyone thinks and feels and speaks the same so. language, you know? And yet it's so empowering to engage the difficulty of that path. It's so empowering. So, for instance, you know, um, I'm thinking of an example where, you know, one of the people in the community, one of the students, let's use that word, one of the students introduced the word poof into what we were talking about. So, we were talking about those moments of insight that mm -hmm. arise. So, we could talk about Vipassana moments. We could talk about the Prajna Paramita moments. You know, we could use all these fancy words. And someone in the community articulated them as a moment of poof. And this just so resonated with me, mm -hmm. like, wow, that's such a great term. And it's now a, a term that I use with great frequency in my teaching. So my teaching, my articulation of the teachings and practices of meditation have not only been affected by uh, the experience and the communicative wisdom of one of the people I work with, but my presentation as well has altered as a result of that, which I think is bound to have an impact. So, you know, 
In addition to all the texts and teachings that are out there, this community, the people in this community are part of the knowledge base, you might say, that are taking us forward and deeper into this work. Yeah, they kind of all can add an ingredient, right, to the soup that you guys are making. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I don't talk about, you know, myself in too much detail, but, you know, my practice is evolving and I'm starting off the, all these men's groups and I want to make a men's development organization that includes some, you know, kind of contemplative ideas in it. And we we're talking a little bit during the break is that I'm very scared, honestly, of it being perceived as a cult or being perceived as like a Proud Boys organization type thing. I really want to avoid both of those. Um and yet I noticed that as I'm in the early stages of launching it is that I think people are unconsciously conditioned to want a guru figure. You know, people want me to be in that authoritative leader role. I'm, I'm curious if you experienced that or what comments you have around that pattern. Well, I think that there, there's some truth to that. And um, I, I need to be honest. I think that it goes both ways. I think that um, students are conditioned to want that and teachers are conditioned to want to give that. And so speaking from my side as a teacher, um, you know, I spend a lot of time sitting with the impulse to jump into some of these discussions that I've talked about from a teacher point of view, right? Someone says something and there's this impulse to jump in and correct or refine or authoritize or legitimize or whatever the case might be. And, you know, those impulses, I mean, we know this from our meditation training, those impulses are fine. That's no problem. And we don't have to act on them. And so allow, allowing those impulses to rise and seeing them for what they are and saying, thanks for showing up, but we're not doing that today has had a huge impact because what that does is it opens up the space for students who, as you note, have some conditioning for a kind of more authoritative, authority-oriented relationship to see that relationship begin to level out, to see that relationship begin to even out, to see that relationship begin to perforate and something else take shape. And that's one of the things that I've noticed over the years is, you know, when we first started coming together in early 2020, um, you know, there was a hesitant, there seemed to be a hesitancy to speak from one's own experience. And that hesitancy is not so evident now. And I think one of the things that has allowed, um, well, two of the things that have allowed that to happen is this sense of my ability to actually hold those impulses to assume the old fashioned teacher seat and time, the fact that we've had so much time together. Yeah. I like what you're saying. My word goes to psychological concept of safety, right? If it feels safer, people can be more of themselves. And it's something that it's a good reminder talking to you that I've been trying to bring more of myself into my therapy work and into my community work and doing that and, and not being in that golden ivory tower thing. Right. Because I, I do feel compelled to do that. Cause you know, I, I have knowledge. I learned stuff. I went to school, read a bunch of books. I want to give that to people. And yet I don't want it to create such a, a wall and such a power dynamic. It is, it's a really tough line to walk. Yeah. Yeah. It is a really tough line to walk. And, you know, it's a beautiful line to walk too, because this is our training as meditators. You know, our training mm -hmm. as meditators is to rest in this moment, to turn our attention toward and rest in this moment 
and wait and wait and wait until something authentic and appropriate arises, you know, authentic and appropriate to this moment arises. And part of that is seeing when, okay, this isn't really what this moment calls for. And like, okay, I'm going to step in and be a teacher, capital T. Okay, fine. Again, thanks for showing up. <laughs> you sit down over there and I'm just going to sit and wait and we're going to see what wants to happen in this group situation. So our training as, medita as meditators, I think, is got a direct bearing upon this dynamic that we're talking about. And I think it's, it's probably help, very helpful, helpful in that regard for us as teachers and facilitators to acknowledge that, yeah, those impulses come up. I feel the impulse to step in and be the authority figure. I'm not going to do that, but there's that impulse. Right. Right. And I'm seeing it as like a bad thing, right? Having that non-judgmental openness of like, yep, here it is. And it can pass by if it needs and, to. And of course it's there. Like you've, you've used the word conditioned yep. a number of times. Of course it is. Mm -hmm. You know, that is our conditioning. That is what we're trained in. That's what we're familiar with. You know, so of course, and uh, that's fine. <laughs> Sit over to the side, <laughs> have a cup of tea, and we're going to just see what's happening in this situation here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something I want to talk about, I think when we come back from our next break is, I think what we're talking about is like these human dynamics, right? These like human group dynamics around leadership, around power, around safety that arise and how to deal with them. Maybe it's the wrong word. I don't even know what word to use, but address them maybe um, through a spiritual context. Because I mean, there's a whole rant, but it's like, if you go through spiritual communities in the past from Buddhist communities to cults, to the church, to whatever, right? Like humans can't quite figure it out, right? Like we can't quite get it right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I, I just, I'm just really curious about your views on that. And maybe that's the starting point is to acknowledge uh, uh, how difficult it has been for us yeah. throughout our history to have um, authentically, um, respectful and supportive communities with spiritual work. Right. Because there is that kind of divineness. Once you bring that in, it just, everything gets all kind of mucked up. Um, yeah. That's a really good point. The divineness does, does create a divineness when it's understood as higher than when it's understood as transcendent. So maybe one of the things that would be really helpful, and this is certainly a main theme in my work is bringing things down to the ordinary bringing things down to the grocery store, to the parenting, to the driving to soccer practice, and making it more ordinary as opposed to making it more divine. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So we got to move into our final commercial break. When we come back, we'll chat a lot more about that. Um, if you've been enjoying the podcast, feel free to like it, share it on social media, give it to someone that might need to hear these messages. I think it's a great episode so far, and I'm excited to see where it wraps up. So if you're listening at home, uh, listen to the commercials, and I'll see you on the other side. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. 
One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with a replay of the show Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. I am really excited, Neil, to ask you about how you bring meditation into daily life, right? We were talking a little bit last segment about how that helps to actually keep the community healthy because it doesn't have this transcendent, divine, holier-than-thou component. It just makes it very humble. So can you speak a little bit more about that? Well, I think one of the things that I do in that regard is I, I constantly am asking the question, and I don't mean this in a dis, dis, uh, uh, dismissive way or derogatory way. It, it's a provocation to contemplation for me. I'm constantly asking the question, so what? So what? Like, okay, there's this great teaching, so what? And that where that question leads me is, how does this have relevance in my everyday, ordinary, moment-to-moment life? So what? Okay, so I can I can meditate pretty well, you know, sit down and not move for 35 minutes, 45 minutes. So what? What is the relevance? How is this brought into the stuff of my ordinary everyday life? How do these two 
not necessary solitudes, but sometimes um, imposed solitudes, spirituality, meditation, our everyday life, how do these bridge? And um, like that, uh, the example with the cashier I gave you, I'm constantly looking for those moments where the teachings are um, illuminated by an ordinary everyday experience. So let me give you another example. Um, on Saturday, I was at a nearby mall and I was walking straight ahead and I suddenly decided that I wanted to go to the left. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to cut between these two upholstered uh, benches that they have in the mall for people to sit on. And I'm going to go that way. So I turned and I started to go that way. And within about one second, I realized, yeah, there is no gap between those two benches. There is a long, flat, beige colored table that's the same cut color as the, uh, the floor. So I hadn't seen it. And I hit hard. And I went tumbling over and I actually, you know, like uh, a Pete Rose sliding head first into the base in baseball. I went flying down the uh, corridor a little bit. My hat went flying. My glasses went flying. My um, water bottle, my backpack even jettisoned from me and went shooting down. And, uh, you know, I'm not the best judge of time in this instance, because clearly it was, you know, something was going on for me. Um, but I think within five seconds, within five seconds, three strangers were at my side, one of whom had picked up all my stuff and was bringing it back to me, one of whom had her hand on my shoulder and was encouraging me to continue to lay down for a few minutes, and one of whom was an employee of the mall who was, made it clear they were checking in to see whether we needed to call security, first aid, an ambulance, or any sort of, sort of thing like that. Five seconds. I'm guessing in that span of time, they did not have an opportunity to say, well, do I like that guy or not? Do my politics agree with that individual or not? Is that a situation I want to get involved in or not? I'm going to guess that those kind of deliberations didn't have an opportunity they just saw with a certain amount of clarity, they knew with a certain amount of sensitivity, and they responded. And that, to me, is, again, another manifestation of what we keep coming back to, this basic nature that is the, the ground of Buddhist teaching and the ground of meditation practice. And connecting that teaching, which can sometimes seem so lofty, Let's rest in the basic nature. Let's talk about the Buddha nature, capital B, capital N. Bringing it down to that ordinary everyday moment um, of lying on the floor in a mall on a crowded Saturday afternoon with three strangers immediately at my side in an appropriate way. That really helped. That kind of thing really helps me begin to bridge those two, to begin to see that there actually is no difference between spirituality and our everyday life, that spirituality is speaking to our everyday life, and our everyday life is an opportunity for those teachings to actually manifest for us. Yeah, that's a, I love that story. I like the way that you speak about it and, and share the insight. And I think that's certainly true in my experience, right, of I think when I see somebody in pain, if I'm being honest, right, like compassion arises first, right, of like, I should help somebody. Mm -hmm. And then again, if I'm being honest, more often than not, I think it gets pushed away. Yeah. 
right? Like if I see a homeless person and I'm like, oh God, that, you know, I really want to help that person or that person needs help. Then I can come up with all kinds of stories. Why not right now? And not now is not the time. And I, I block it out. Right. Um, but the first impulse is, is compassion. Yeah. And, and beginning to see that and recognize that and recognize too that the teachings, you know, the meditative teachings have something to say about that hesitancy too. Mm -hmm. They would talk about obstacles and obscurations. They might talk about the, you know, the veils. They might talk about all, talk about it in all sorts of ways. And realizing that actually, again, these things are interpenetrative. They are influencing and influenced by one another. And I think really, if I as a teacher am beginning or am willing to approach the teachings in this way and share my explorations and discoveries with the people that I'm working with, it helps encourage those individuals to do the same in their own life. Rather than me saying, well, I, you know, suggesting that I'm a lofty person who's doing a lofty practice in a lofty place, realizing lofty ideals, saying like, look, here's an experience from the mall. You've all been to the mall. <laughs> what was it like for you? You ever tripped? Yeah, it's very relatable. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's very relatable. And so really, you know, finding ways to um relatable is a great word relate the teachings and practices to my life relate my life to the teachings and practices communicate this with the people that i work with the people who listen to my podcast and so on and so forth i think begins to encourage and empower people to do this in their own lives mm -hmm. yeah yeah so i, I want to ask you directly you know in this final segment we talk directly to the the listeners so i encourage you to put on that teacher role mm -hmm. and what would you say to somebody who is listening and is interested in pursuing the path of meditation. Um, or maybe actually, let me, let me back up on that. Cause what I hear a lot with some of the guys I work with is they say, Oh, it's not for me. Right. I'm bad at it. I tried. I, I can't sit still. My, my mind is too restless. I get bored. Um, I can see the value in it, but it just, it's just not for me. Mm -hmm. What would you say to somebody that's coming to you with that type of problem? I think there's, there's two things, two ways to really approach that and i mean i hear that a lot and on the one hand you know the first thing i'd like to say is like okay you sit down you start to meditate you realize that your mind's running a mile a minute and it's uncomfortable i know it's uncomfortable i know it's frustrating and that actually is a manifestation of the base we keep talking about the basic nature here mark it's mm -hmm. actually a manifestation of the basic nature you're tapping into the clarity that's inherent in your being, and you're seeing clearly what you weren't seeing clearly five minutes ago. Oh, you're, my mind is running five, you know, mile a minute, and it is uncomfortable. That kind of thing's going on for us all the time, and we don't normally see it. But when we sit down and we settle in just a little, we touch that level of basicness, and we begin to see more clearly. And that's a great man of example of how that clarity manifests in an ordinary everyday kind of way. So rather than understanding or seeing that experience as a problem, I encourage people to see it as a sign of success. This is what meditation is designed to do. And I know it's uncomfortable and I know it's frustrating. And this is what meditation, one of the things that meditation is designed to do. So please, you feel free to continue. 
Yeah, I, I like that you bring that up. It just, it counters the cultural messages. I think we get a meditation of like, you know, sitting on a mountaintop with the sun rising, you know, namasteing our way to enlightenment, right? That wasn't the case for me when I started. And even not now, not even close, right? Oftentimes it is uncomfortable or it is being aware of a, an ache or body pain or something and being like, whoa, I have this all the time. Yes. Um, which can feel overwhelming if I'm being honest, right? Or it can feel um, sad sometimes, right? Of like, oh, I, I'm carrying this with me. And that overwhelming, I think, is the second thing worth pointing to. You know, okay, I know it's overwhelming and I know it's really hard and I know it's frustrating. And on the one hand, I could say, okay, let just stay with it and let yourself settle into that and see where it takes you. So that that is one thread that we'd explore in that. The other thread that I think is important to acknowledge and uh, explore is, okay, tell me about that overwhelm. Let's be honest about that overwhelm. And it may be that the overwhelm you're touching into through just a little bit of meditation practice is something that calls for a modality other than meditation practice. So you may be touching into something where you're actually right. You know, okay, meditation isn't right for me right now. It's not the appropriate tool in the toolkit. This overwhelm needs EMDR. It needs trauma therapy. It needs whatever it needs. And then maybe I'll come back to meditation. So I think that there's two equally valid responses. One is like, okay, you're on the right track and let's just kind of keep settling and see where it goes. And the other one is, yeah, you're on the right track right now. You need something other than, or in addition to meditation, and then we can come back later if that feels appropriate. Yeah. I think that's smart. I haven't, yeah. Right. It's like, it's a check-in and saying, Hey, the next right step might be to find another modality for the moment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do therapy or do physical therapy maybe, right. Or, or exercise or do yoga. Right. If there's a ton of body pain, it might be more than just sitting can do. Um, yeah, yeah I this... mean, certainly in the, in the, well, I mean, I was going to say the early days of my recovery from that dysfunctional relationship. I mean, but it continues to this day. There are days when meditation, I'm going to use the term tool in the toolkit. The meditation is just not the appropriate tool in the toolkit. It's not the appropriate. It, it is not the next right step. Mm. It's like, okay, I need to go for a walk. I need to have a cup of tea and stare out the window. I need to reach out to my therapist again, and then I'll come back to the practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Neil, it was fantastic to have you on the show. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and just sharing your experience and your wisdom um, and your humbleness. Um, I'm curious if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you online? Um, you know, the best place to go is my website. It, it encompasses all that I'm offering, including what we've talked about, the Living Meditation Network, the online gatherings, the uh, Bringing Meditation to Life podcast. Um, and that is neilmckinley.com. I'm in L-A-Y McKinley, neilmckinley.com. And if you're so inclined, you know, sign up for my newsletter, um, which is a source of insight, information, and a reminder every month that you know, maybe meditation has something to offer your life today. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. And listeners, thanks for tuning in for another episode. And we'll see you next week on From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.